When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. We are past the century mark on to episode 101. As a reminder, we are a proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews. You can also find us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. You can find me on Twitter at Chad Young, and you can find my co-host Pete Ball at Pete B Baseball. And Pete, we, we finally reached that 100 mark, and now we get to just... I don't know, do whatever we want for the future, right? If like you had a hundred episodes on a podcast, that's just the rest is gravy. (laughs) Well, the contract is good from here on out. Yeah. The what? Yeah. No, the contract boost was huge. The contract was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I I think, you know, if if we get to 150, I'm going to have to hold out. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to have to revisit our CBA and, uh, and dive into that. But, um, no, it's exciting. I, I, one thing, I, I think we should keep the Jersey thing going, but now it's going to be, we're, we've restarted. So this is now the, oh. uh, I don't know, the Pee Wee Reese episode. Wow. That's a, so we got to start over at number one. Who yeah. are the number ones? There's that, that uh, baseball reference page. I got to find, let's see. There's not a lot of number ones out there. Ozzy Smith. That's maybe even more exciting. Ozzy's a, a pretty good one and, and fits within, at least within my lifetime. I I, I have a good, I, I remember Ozzy playing. <laughs> I'm a little older than you, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I do not. <laughs> Let's see. Sporting News has him as the best number one, with honorable mentions being Lou Whitaker, Pee Wee Reese, and Richie Ashburn. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard to argue with that i think if you sort so on baseball reference they do have this they have a they call it their frivolities section and they have a number search and so if you search by number one it is ozzy with 76.9 career r war followed by lou whitaker at 75.1 paul wayner at 74.8 kenny lofton apparently wore number one at some point for two seasons in 2002 and 2003 with the White Sox, Giants, and Cubs. But that's Kenny, Kenny Lofton is seven. He'll always be seven. It was just the Clevelander in me. But <laughs> yeah, Ashburn Ward for 15 seasons. I'm trying to see if there's anyone else from sort of our era. Tony Willie Fernandez Adamas. who played a... What? Willie Adamas. Is he wearing number he wore, one? He wore it for four years with Tampa Bay. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Somebody. And, and Tony Fernandez, who played a big role in the 97 Cleveland team that that almost, almost won the World Series. Uh, he wore number one. So, or yeah. So, but I think, I think Ozzy, I think Ozzy has earned this one. We'll give it to Ozzy, but you know, a good honorable mention, and then we can move on. Rafael for call. Definitely an underappreciated okay. player. He was very yeah. early my fantasy days. Like my first couple of years, he was a, he was a sought after target of shortstop. An, an underrated number one. For sure. 
now, now we're going to expand this. We're going to be like, who's the best number one? Who's the most underrated number one? <laughs> like do <laughs> real research before anyway, the next yeah. episode for number two. <laughs> oh, people are well, going to want to show and we'll be like, no, <laughs> no, number two. You're, you're, already, you're already abstaining from number two. Yeah, we we could skip two. <laughs> I don't know. We could we could we could give him the most overrated number two and then move on. Oh, oh, so all of next episode is going to be about number two. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that is not actually what we're going to spend all of next episode or this episode or any episode about. This episode, we've got some some trades that have happened and trades that haven't happened. Got a, a player who just came back and is having a big day that that I want to talk about because I've got to make some decisions on what I think he is worth. And then we're going to get into what we are calling the breakout meter. Pete has coined that term. I like that term. It is basically a scale of one to 10 of how much do you believe in the breakout? What we're going to do is go through a bunch of guys whose ADP were outside the top 200 who are now inside the top 50-ish, I think, on ESPN's player rater. And we'll give you on a scale of one to ten, how much do we how much do we buy in the breakout? But before we dive into that, I think Pete, why don't we start with the deal you made in the listener league? This was our our auto new listener league, correct? That's right. Yeah. We have we have we have three listener leagues. So I gotta always remember which one. So let me pull this up real quick because I'll read through what it was. There haven't been a ton of trades in that league this season, but this is a this is a doozy. So you got a definitely a a, a peat ball favorite in Wander <laughs> Franco for twenty four dollars, and you got an eleven dollar Alec Manoa, which we should talk about Alec Manoa. Uh, I'm just that's all I'm going to say for now. You gave up a twelve dollar Jorge Soler who I think has hit seven home runs since you made this trade. <laughs> he just, I picked him up in my CBS head to head league and he's just like winning me matchups left and right. The guy just oh, like, all he does is unreal. hit bombs. So, and, and a $34 Corey Seager. So, uh, you know, you, you'll talk a little bit about what you're thinking about with this, but from a, you know, just a, a context standpoint, you've been climbing the standings and you've moved all the way up to 10th place. And I was eighth at one point, if you can believe it. Oh, you got all the way up to eighth. Well, you're back down to nine. Sorry to tell you. Yeah, no, that's fine. It was for like five seconds, but I was like, holy crap. Like everybody must be having a terrible day. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm going to assume that this is a this is not a deal you made for this year. This is you let, let me guess what you were thinking, and then you can tell me what you were actually thinking. My guess is what you're thinking is the upgrade long term from a $34 to a $34 Seeger to a $24 Franco is sizable that you were willing to give up a $12 Jorge Soler, who as great as he's been this year, like he's so up and down, who knows what you're thinking of him long-term. And then you're getting Manoa. You're, you're buying low on Manoa. You're just hoping he turns it around. If he doesn't, he's a cut at the end of the season. If he does, you've got yourself a, a really good young pitcher, hopefully for, for cheap. Is that, is that basically what this comes down to for you? I mean, yeah, you basically hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, I'm a big Franco guy. I think in this format with OBP, especially he can, he can really play up. Um, so it just, it's just $24. That felt like a huge, huge upgrade, uh, for the future financial situation of my roster. Corey Seager, you know, I I'm a massive Corey Seager fan. That's why I rostered him for 35 or whatever it was. And I actually kept him from last year. So I kept him at that price and bid for him last year to get him at 33 or whatever he ended up being. 
Um, so I love Corey Seager, but to save the 11, 12 bucks, whatever that ends up being, and to also just kind of like get out from Solaire. Um, I'm, I, let me be clear, because we're, we're going to talk about him later. I'm a believer in what he's doing. Like he's he's a massive power hitter. We we know this. When Jorge Soler is going well, he's he's going to hit. But when your team has no chance at winning the season, which mine doesn't, like Jorge Soler is the exact kind of player that you want to get out from. And I think in this particular league with him being $12, like that's actually like kind of a lot. I mean, coming out of the auction, that was a super expensive Jorge Soler. It was just I had a ton of money towards the end. Whereas in the staff league, it was the same situation. I had a lot of money towards the end, but I only had to go to $4 for Jorge Soler. So he was just a target of mine late in in auctions. And um, I wanted to kind of get out from that. And if it meant to push the steal across the finish line, I'm, I'm in. And Manoa, you know, I, I think he's garbage. I, I honestly, I can't stand watching him <laughs> pitch. He did something last year. I probably complained about this in the pod before. He struck out Dahlback and Franchi Cordero back to back. Two dudes with like 40% strikeout rates. And he was like screaming at them, screaming profanities at them as they can. It's like, dude, can you like, okay. All right, big guy. Way to go. You struck out Dahlback and Franchi Cordero. They would strike out in T-ball. But you know what? You're you're great. But if he does bounce back, $11, sure. If not, whatever, I'm going to finish in close to the bottom anyway, and he's just a cut. Yeah, and, and the other thing he does for you, if he bounces back and you still don't want to keep him, you got a couple more months of trade activity going on where if like he puts together a real nice, you know, picks up picks it up second half of June, has a real nice last month going into the All-Star break, you can spin him off for for something you like better after that. Like that's a that that could work out well. I think Manoa. I mean, goodness. I so first of all, let me just say this. I don't think there's a lot to say about Franco or Seager, right? Like Seager's a star. Franco looks like he is on his way to being a star as well. He absolutely plays up in this format. I've been the relative low guy between the two of us on Franco, but in this format, he's it's a four by four, so it's on base slugging, runs, and home runs. I think he plays up a bit in this because he's going to get on base at a high rate. He's going to have a high enough slugging percentage to help. And even if he doesn't put up a ton of home runs, he'll score a ton of runs. And so it's it's a good format for him. And he, and he's been better than I expected. So from all that, like, I, I like that piece of it. I agree with what you were saying on Solaire. We will, as you said, talk about him later. But let's talk a little bit about Manoa because he's been cut in some of my leagues including leagues where I have cap space and I could go get him. And I am trying to decide if I'm going to. And it's like, you go look at his numbers and his velocity is down. He sat 93.7, 93.9 the last two years. He's down to 92.8. That's a pretty big drop off. Possibly because of that, the strikeouts are down. He'd been at 27.7% in his rookie year, down to 22.9% last year. It's down to 18% this year. That 22.9% was already bordering on not good enough. 18% is not bordering on that. It's just actually not good enough. But the biggest issue for him seems to be the walks. Like he's always been, he's never been one of these guys who like never walks anyone. He, but, but walks were never an issue for him. He is walking 15, 14.9% of hitters, 14.9% of hitters this year for some context, for those who aren't used to thinking those percentages, that's 6.37 walks per nine inning. So if he goes and he throws, you know, he's basically walking a guy more than every other inning. He's just putting base runners on constantly. On top of that, he's traditionally had a home run for per nine under one. He's at one and a half right now. Like, it just feels like everything is wrong. It's like, what does he have to fix? I don't know. Like, throw strikes, miss bats, 
and stop <laughs> giving up home runs. <laughs> so good advice for pitchers. I, you know, yeah. Chad, I coach and I can tell you that's good advice. It's, I, I think it is good <laughs> advice. I think the, the, the challenge is like, I don't know. Like sometimes you look at a guy and you're like, wow, everything's going wrong. He needs to like fix this one thing. This is just like Alec Manoa right now. And I'm not, I, this is, I, I don't want to make this sound like this is a permanent state. Alec Manoa right now sucks. It's, it's not that he's like, he's not struggling with his command. He's not, he's just bad. He's a very bad pitcher right now. And Can I give you my theory here. Yeah. I would love to hear I, it because I, I have none. And <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't, I doubt I'm the only person with this theory. Uh, so let me put that out there now. I think it's the pitch clock. I do. I think if it's not an injury, like, and I don't mean to kick a guy while he's down. Alec Manoa is a really big guy and he just became an ace taking his time, no pitch clock. And now this is like, I mean, they were talking about oh, what game was I listening to? I think it was like giants pirates or something. I can't remember. They're talking about how the pitch clock is like, it's kind of like a cardio event for pitchers now. Like it's, it's go, go, go. And I, again, I'm not trying to pick on the guy. There's plenty of big pitchers who are still pitching well but i for some reason i i think it's done a toll on on manoa the fastball is down over a, a mile an hour and i i think it would really explain the walks you know i think it would explain not missing bats if you're just like you know really tired out there and laboring to get through an outing because you, you have to throw a pitcher it's going to be called a ball i i think that's what it is because it's like you said it's everything so what happened here if there's no injury i think it's the pitch clock yeah, I, I was trying to figure out, and I, I'm trying to pull up because I know baseball savant has some pitching pace data. Yeah, that's where and, we found out that Jansen was the slowest last year. Yeah, that's yeah. And so I'm trying to f- see if I can figure out pitch tempo. I think is what they call it. Try to. I'm just sort of curious. Like, was he a particularly slow worker? Because yeah. some, you know, it, it it feels like some guys are like, this is killing them. And some guys, it's making very little difference. If I go and look at the slowest workers last year, eh, Manoa, I mean. 20.7 with the bases well, empty. I'm, that is. I'm seeing with the bases empty, I've seen 20.2 on their leaderboard. And that put, is that it was 20.7 this year? Or is that last year? I, 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 saw, I was looking at last year. Did I get that wrong? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. You saw 20, and it says 20.7? Uh, update. Manoa. Uh, 20.7 for me. Yeah. Well, that is just really weird. What are we? Are we looking at something different? 20.7. Oh, I'm looking at the two years combined. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, he's at... I, uh, I, I accidentally was looking at the two years combined. So let me, let me switch this. So now I'm just looking at last year. And yeah. Three second... He, difference he is at like you said 20.7 that put him at the 69th slowest worker interestingly another name just i was just like looking up like oh who else was slower than him just to sort of see who was slower than him um you darvish just among starting pitchers you darvish shows up there seems like he's fine but corbin burns shows up as one of the few starters who is slower than manoa and this has not been a great year for him Michael Kopech, who seems to have turned a corner in the last couple starts, although um, he has not faced the toughest offenses. Like, and there's a bunch of relievers, and relievers are historically slower. So, 
I'm trying to see there, there really aren't very many other, like he was one of the slowest starting pitchers out there with the bases empty. According to this with runners on, he's a little like he's 82nd slowest. So that's a little bit better, but again, it's, it's mostly relievers that are slower than him. So it, that very well could be it. He, he was a slow worker and now he has to be a much faster worker. And that's Chad this year out of 390 qualified pitchers. He is 385th. He is the 385th slowest pitcher, averaging 18 seconds in between pitches with the bases empty. So that's interesting. I, I think it's kicking his ass. Eight, yeah, I, it could be, and it, and it also it is also possible that he is at a at a point where like he's running down the clock and then rushing, right? Which which makes it even worse. Like it's one thing if you're working slow and you're like okay, I'll get into it with three seconds left and I'm a little behind, but whatever. It's another thing if like you're regularly like, okay, three seconds, I got to get this pitch out. Yeah, it does. That that very well could be it. And that's a little concerning. It also maybe, if I want to look at it from a positive point of view, maybe that suggests that he is just going to need to adjust and that at some point he'll he'll sort of put this together. The challenge with that from a from a fantasy standpoint is like, that may be an off season thing, right? That may be the kind of thing that all he can do is like spend the off season working on this, and and there's nothing that's going to happen in the during the season to fix it. So interesting. I I think in general where I am with him is like in a t- situation like you're in, I'd be pretty happy to be sitting on him for now. Like he's still young, and it is it is early to just write off what looked like pretty great talent until this year. So I, I'd hate to write it off, but if I'm competing. I totally get like team, like he's been cut around 20, $22 in some of my leagues. Like if I, I'd move on. I totally get why I would do that if you were competing, but if you could get him at 10, $11 in a league where you either aren't competing or have enough depth that you can just treat him like a prospect. I I don't hate that. So I like that for you trade that I was looking at. And this is still sort of semi ongoing, I would say. Uh, in our staff league, the, the Fangraph staff league that you and I are both in, we've talked about this league a couple times, and and I've talked about how Niv and I started the season. We messed up the auction. We left the auction with a bunch of money on the table because we sort of underestimated or overestimated actually how expensive some players would go for. So we made an active decision that we were going to be a little bit more of a uh, future-focused team. We now have the third highest point total in that league and are leading our division. And so we've sort of Don't I know it. What? Don't I know it? I'm a, I'm, yeah. I'm a game behind you here. Oh, are you? Yeah. I oh, yeah. You and, and the speedsters and are tied a game behind us. Yep. So we've been looking to make a trade. And we've been talking to Brad Johnson, whose team Brad's hand is, is struggling. And he's got a Matt Olson. That is a $28, $29, something like that. Under 30, over 25. We really could use a first baseman. We went into the season with our first baseman expecting to be Hoskins, CJ Cron, Torkelson. We eventually picked up Josh Bell, who has done nothing for us. But now, like, Crone's hurt. Hoskins is hurt. Torkelson, we eventually cut. Like, it's been, it hasn't been great for us at first base. Everything else has actually been pretty good. Like, our, our middle infield of Paredes, Horner, and now like now we're using Julienne because we've had a couple of injuries there too, but we have Spencer Steer as middle infielder. Emmanuel Valdez has been helpful. Like Our outfield, 
Schwarber's been down, but Arosa Reina, Newt Bar, Yoshida, Brandon Marsh, like things have been generally good if we could just stay healthy. So we had sort of negotiated around a deal that was going to be Julianne, Kyle Manzardo, and Brandon Fott for Olsen. And where we are struggling right now is he wants $15 in cap space. So not just not not the loan to balance it, right? The loan where we were sort of like, okay, we'll do a loan that makes things even. He wants us to put an extra $15 on the table to give him more cap space and us less cap space. And we're struggling with how much that is worth. Because to me, like $15 is like two to three players, right? That's that's two to three guys we could pick up off free agency down the street. Minimum. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in this league, like, we're just talking about this. One of the guys who was just one of the leagues where Manoa was just cut was this league, I think. If I double checking, yeah. So there is a there is current a currently free agent Alec Manoa with a minimum bid of ten dollars. Now I'm not saying I want to go out and get Manoa right now. I just explained that as a as a buyer, I'm not sure that's where I want to be. But I don't think like. I don't think I want to give up that much money. Brad is sort of pushing us like, hey, you've got lots of cap space. I don't know why you wouldn't, why you'd let this stand in the way of the deal. I'm curious to what you think, Pete. Like if you were us, are you like cap space? Like you've got plenty because we do have a lot. We've got right now, try to pull up our roster. We have $46 in cap space. So we do have plenty to play with. That is a ton. What, what's that? And you're, you're getting back. Give me the whole trade again. It's Julianne. Manzardo fought for Olsen. Yeah. I fifteen dollars is tough, but when you consider you'll still have what thirty something left over. Yeah. Like that's still probably more than the field of competitors are gonna have. Um I, I've been hesitant. I have a ton of cap space in that league too. I'm also trying to compete in that league, like we said. And there's a nine dollar Mitch Hanniger out there, and I'm still mm-hmm. like, ah. Hanniger's really hot right now, but $9, I don't want to give up this cap space, you know, for a player I might end up cutting. It's been, you know, years since we've seen Hanniger perform well. So I think I look at the, I look at Minnesota's situation and I, I could easily see Julianne getting sent back down at some point or just missing time again. I, mm-hmm. I did not see a single good thing out of Brandon Fott. Like I, if we really want to like dissect it, I'm sure we could find things and be like, well, he did this, but Man, he was trash. Um, yeah. And then the the third player. I'm sorry, this is the second time I forgot. Uh, oh, Manzardo. Manzardo. Manzardo's been cold lately, I, but he's still one of the best bats in the minor leagues. But he's a Ray, which, like you know, for me, that's that's like that's as big of a red flag as it gets. Madelson's just so damn good. I I think I'd actually take the deal. Interesting. All right. Well, we've been we've been hesitating. I just message Niv and told him that you and I are recording right now and that you think we should take it. So, but we're also aware that, as you said, you're a game behind us. So, you know, we got to figure out how much we can trust you, Pete. Yeah. I'm totally trying to sabotage you by, by getting you Matt Olson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get this it's rock like, star. I'll for co-host a hundred episodes of a podcast with Chad just <laughs> to get him to make a bad trade. It's all come together now. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. We'll have to look back at that. You did mention the twins situation, and that brings us to the other player I wanted to talk about before we get to our breakout meter. That is Royce Lewis. 
So here's the context for why I want to talk about Lewis. I mean, there's always lots of good reasons to talk about him. He's back. He's back today. We are recording this on Monday. And Lewis, on Monday, we pull up the box score because they just finished. He played third base, which is apparently going to be his role. He batted fifth. He went two for four with a home run, four RBIs, a run scored. Uh, he... Uh, he did he did exactly what you'd want to see him do. He didn't strike out, which is, you know, it's one game, but still, you get five plate appearances, you don't strike out. That's pretty good. And he came up with a clutch hit too. I think he had a like a clutch RBI hit in the ninth game to tie it before. Yeah. yeah, before they came back to win it in the tenth. So yeah, I uh I'm pretty excited about him. I've got him. I think I might have him in the in the listener league where he's not going to do me any good because my team is terrible. But I'm a One fan day. of Lewis. What? One day. One day. Someday. But yeah. he is a free agent in my CBS head-to-head league. Uh, we've talked about this league before. That league, my middle infield's generally pretty good, but I have Polanco and Willie Adamas, who are both on the IL right now. And so I still have uh, Simeon, DeYoung. I've got Muncie on that team. I've like I've got it. I've got players who are performing, but I've got room to to get Lewis. And, and the the debate I'm having this is sort of a weird situation where because minor leaguers can't be picked up in that league, the commissioner sent out a note yesterday on Sunday before our fab saying he's not eligible until he's actually called up, which means he'll be eligible on Wednesday, not today. Somebody put in a bid anyways and won him for $5. That was then reversed. But it does mean that there is a team out there that has already put a $5 bid down on it. Ooh, they showed their hand. Yes. Now, you could you play all sorts of game theory out here. Like, maybe they showed their hand on purpose. Maybe they're like, maybe they put Ooh. five to anchor us to five so they could bid nine and win. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but it, this is not... The salaries are very auto-new-like because it's 25-man roster, $260 at auction. So, like, similar prices... But it is not the Vickery style auctions that Otto New does in season where the winning bid, pay, the winning bidder pays $1 more than the second place bid. This is just sort of normal fab rules where if you bid $12 and you win the guy, you pay him $12. It doesn't matter what anyone else did, but it does become their salary moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the question I'm I'm wrestling with right now is, how much am I willing to drop? And I've got cap space in that league. So I could I could put down a $15 bid on Royce Lewis if I wanted to. And, and the debate I'm having with myself is like, is he that good? Is he a difference maker? How is he the guy I want to drop that cap on? Because there's also no loans in this league. So if I want to make trades later in the season, having cap space to absorb salary from a team that's rebuilding is valuable. So mm-hmm. is this where I want to burn... I should double check how much I've got, but is this where I want to burn a, a decent sized chunk of my cap space? Now, is this like ought new in that when you cut someone, you get half their salary back? Do you get no? In this case, salary? you get everything back. Oh well, then that means I'd be a little bit more. Yeah, I'd be less risk averse. Yeah, because if he gets yeah. hurt again, I can just I, I I get it all back. Yeah, I, you mentioned Paul DeYoung as one of your shortstops. And like, look, I'm happy for the guy. I feel like he's been battered back and forth. He's dealt with injuries. And and that's such a crowded situation that whenever I see he's doing well, I get excited about it. But last year when he initially got called up, he also went on a little bit of a hot spell before cooling down again. So 
I, I, I'm not so convinced there. You mentioned Semyon, who I imagine you have at second base. So, like, I, I think Royce Lewis is. Though he is shortstop eligible. He is short. Right. So, Simeon is shortstop right. eligible, as is Lewis. Yeah, I think I. I think I'd, I'd, I'd go in here on Lewis. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Royce Lewis. It was, it was a nice transition because that um, staff league that we were talking about, That's I have Royce Lewis there, got him for four bucks. I was offered trades for him before the season, multiple, and I was like, you know, I this is one player I really, really want to hold on to, and I'm so glad that I did. I'm all in on Royce Lewis. And I, in that kind of situation where you've got the cap space, I think you just end up regretting not making sure that you got him. You know, if you bid nine and the next highest bid was $5, I think that $4 for peace of mind to make sure I get him, I'm glad to pay that because now I, I have Royce Lewis on my team. Yeah. I think the question more becomes, so I, I think getting myself to an eight or $9 bid is, is pretty easy from the perspective that even if I decide, and I'm not sure this is where I'm going to be, but even if I decided like, eh, I don't need him. I have enough cap space that bidding eight or nine dollars to make sure that nobody else gets him for single digits next year is worth it. However, the bigger question is more like, do I bid fifteen dollars, sixteen dollars just to get him? Because I think he's going to be a difference maker for me this year. And the fact that that probably means he's not a keeper next year, maybe, you know, maybe he really truly breaks out and becomes a star and is a $30 guy and I'm thrilled. But if the more likely outcome is he's a 10 to $12 value and I'm basically paying up too much for him to be a good keeper, should I do that anyways? Or should I just, should I bid $8 and be like, hey, if I win him at $8, I may have some you know long-term value here. And if I don't, I don't. I think that's the big debate I'm having. Well, you're in contention. So like, yeah. I mean, like, like you say, flags fly forever. And I <laughs> even I, I still think there's room and you acknowledge this there that like you could spend $14 on him, get him and he could still end up being a keeper. Like this is a number one overall pick player. This is a guy with immense talent. He's a power and speed threat. I mean, he's he could be completely legit. I think it's it's two torn ACLs for him now. Is that right? Like, so a lot yeah. of that that shine is gone, but the potential's still there. So I would make sure I get him for this year. I would spend the 15, 16 bucks, whatever it takes, get him on my roster, win a championship. And if he's that good, he might end up being a keeper anyway. Yeah. Because that is within yeah. his range of outcomes. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll leave this intro segment and get into our breakout meter. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. As mentioned, we're going to go into what we are calling the breakout meter. We're going to look at 
players and, and Pete, you pulled this together. So correct me if I'm wrong, but these are all players whose ADP was after 200. Is that right? Yep. And who are currently in the top 50 of the ESPN player Raider. And this is all of them, right? This is everybody except relievers. You said you left out relievers, which is great because who wants to talk about relievers? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's awesome. correct. So two different platforms, NFBC, ADP, but ESPN's player Raider. Great. And so then what we're going to do is give each player on a scale of one to 10, how much we are buying the breakout. And basically what this is, is like 10 is this guy is everything he looks like he is. Go get him if you can. And one is this guy is going to be optioned to the minors any day now. <laughs> you should get out while you still can. I don't think we're going to give out a lot of ones. I don't think we'll give out a lot of tens, but you know, we'll be in, in between those. So with that context, let's start with a guy who is just doing wonderful things for multiple of my teams. And Pete, why don't you, why don't you tell me where you are on the breakout meter for Josh Lowe? Yeah. Uh, this one's really exciting. I, I love Josh Lowe. He was a sleeper for me before the season started. Um, I wish I ended up with more shares, but I still have plenty. I think the places where I didn't get him, it's probably because you have him <laughs> from the sounds of things. Uh, and he has just been a machine. Watching him the other day, stole second base. Then he said, you know what? I'm going to steal third base as well. He was thrown out, but they challenged it. He ended up getting called safe. I mean, when you get a guy who can who can do that and hit for power, it's just awesome. I am at a seven with Josh Lowe. Now, part of that is because I don't want to jinx it. Um, like I, I'd love to tell you a 10, he's a first round player going forward, but I am a little superstitious and I don't want that to happen, but I am being honest. I haven't met a seven. Is he close to an eight? Sure. And when you're an eight, nine, 10, as everybody knows on the breakout meter, you're pretty much a lock to be a breakout. So Josh Lowe is right there. However, <laughs> um, everybody knows that that's what an eight, nine or 10 is on the keeper cup breakout. Everybody meter. knows we, based on the, the fact that this is the very first one ever. Everybody knows that. Everybody um, knows. It, Lowe's approach, it seems he made a simple change and that's just being more aggressive in the zone, right? Um, last last year's swinging strike rate was 13.7%. And that's worse than league average. But this year it's only at 13%. It's not like it improved that much. Um, and yet he was striking out 33% of the time last year and only 22% of the time this year. So what's the change? Well, he's being more aggressive, period. And he's being more aggressive in the zone. And so far, it's worked out for him. So that kind of like simple change has catapulted him from somebody who was like unrosterable to literally the fifth overall player on ESPN's player radar. So like just that much of a jump based on such a simple switch has me thinking like just being a little bit more hesitant, especially since the swing strike rate is still, again, below league average. I'd like to see that closer to 11 than 13 percent. But Otherwise, it's it's really tough to get upset with what Josh Lowe has done. Uh, yeah, I mean, the average exit velocity doesn't look great, but who cares? When the barrel rate's 13%, who cares? The max EV, which, you know, I was listening to rates and barrels today, um, and I thought, you know, it was, was pretty spot on that, like, max EV is one of the last things he looks at. He does look at it, though, and it matters so much less for players who have so many plate appearances. So, like, I could understand being fatigued hearing about max EV because, like, if a guy's got, you know, 1,200 plate appearances, who cares what his max EV is? We know what the potential is. He has a huge sample. But Josh Lowe doesn't. So the fact that, like, the max EV is that high um, this year, it's 113.3, a huge boost from compared to last season. That tells me maybe there is room for some growth in that 88.4 EV. And again, 
the barrel rate's thirteen percent, which is incredible. So um, I'm at an I'm at a seven for Josh Lowe. He's another monster week though from being an eight for sure. Yeah, I think you know the interesting thing with with Lowe is I was I had some questions about his plate discipline because he he does chase a decent amount. He's got a thirty six percent O swing, which is if he were, he doesn't have quite enough plate appearances to be qualified, I don't think. But if he did, it would put him sort of top 50-ish of 160-some qualified hitters. So, like, high. Not crazy high, but high. His plate discipline, and you can debate whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, because you know how I feel about this guy. Um, but Josh Lowe's plate discipline, his O swing and his Z swing. So swing outside the zone and swing inside the zone are 36% and 74.9%. Both are, are pretty aggressive numbers. His contact rates are 64.6% out of the zone, 82% in the zone. Okay, so 36% O swing, 75-ish percent Z swing, 65-ish percent O contact, 82% Z contact. Bobby Witt Jr. chases a bit more, 37.2%, the exact same 74.9% Z swing, 66% O contact, so a little bit more O contact, and 82.1% contact in the zone. Very, very, very similar between Witt and Lowe. And Witt, for all the hate I gave him as a first-round pick last year, was a unanimous first round pick last year, right? Except for me, everybody was happy to take this guy in the first round. And, and the reason was power speed combo, right? Like, yeah, the average might not be there, but he's power speed. Low has 11 home runs and 12 stolen bases at this point in the season. The average is there. I'm not sure the average is going to stay there, right? He's got a 343 BAPIP. Now, I think he can run high BAPIPs, but I think it's a little optimistic to assume he'll keep that up and maintain a, a third 307 batting average. Like I think that comes back down to earth, but low is basically offering you the, the wit power speed combo wits hit his 10th home run today and stole his 16th base. So a little bit more speed, a little bit less power, I guess, but he's doing it on a good team where he gets to drive guys in and score runs when he gets on base. So I like to me, other than, you know, you got the positional eligibility for Wit is shortstop, fine. But like, jo Low and Wit look very, very similar to me right now. Very similar. And I, I still think that Wit was a reach as a first round pick. But right now, like, he's got a 301 average, 11 home run. Or no, I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's low. Wit's got a 232 average, which is bad but he has his 10 home runs he's got his 16 stolen bases he's only got 35 runs and 26 rbis that's actually pretty good considering how bad the royals are but like he's not putting up 100 of either of those i don't think yeah it's possible he's on he, i think he's on pace for 100 runs but i'm not i'm not buying it so i still think he was a reach as a first round pick but low is basically doing the same thing which means Lowe would also be a reach as a first round pick, <laughs> but he, that's okay. And and so I think if you look at where he is in the player radar right now, where he's fifth overall, the number two outfielder, like he's not going to be the fifth best the rest of the season. But in terms of whether or not I'm buying the breakout, I, I think he's an eight. I, I think in terms of like, if somebody said to you right now, like, would you buy high on Josh Lowe? Like, yes, 
I would buy high on Josh Lowe. I, I'm, I have very, I'm, I'm very high on what he's doing. And yeah. he, he also, by the way, for those who are looking at it from a, you know, oh, the stolen, you know, I play out on new, the stolen bases don't matter as much. Like he's putting up 6.85 points per game. Like he's, he's doing everything you want him to do. The big challenge with him is he doesn't face lefties very often because he's a Ray and that's how the Rays are. And so you've got to be careful with him from that perspective, but that's fine. I can do that. For what it's worth, he's he's killing lefties. He has a 147 WRC plus against lefties. So like if he's in the lineup, you can leave him in. You don't have you don't have to bench him against lefties, but the Rays often do. They are so, so annoying. And you know, you said like, yeah, he'd be a reach for a first round pick. Well, it, it, it is important to keep that in mind because if we're comparing him to Bobby Wood Jr., they may be people out there who are like, Do I just keep Bobby Wood Jr. for a first round pick? Or should I keep Josh Lowe for a 22nd round pick, for a 26th round pick, whatever it is where you drafted him? I mean, this is this is what this pod is all about, is are those keeper leagues. And the reason why we set that bar so high that you had to be outside the top 200 in ADP and you now need to be in the top 50 on ESPN's player rater because that's where the most keeper value is. So Josh Lowe in your keeper leagues and in your new leagues where I've got him for a buck in one, I'm sure you've got him in it for a buck in one or two of them, Chad. That's that's where your money is made. Um, so whether he's fully breaking out into a first round pick or just a very solid top 50 player, either way, you're, you're taking this to the bank all the way. Yep, absolutely. Next guy we want to talk about, another outfielder. He's not the number two outfielder on the player Raider, but he is the number four outfielder on the player Raider. That is Esteori Ruiz. His ADP on NFPC was 253 on the player Raider overall. He's ninth, as I said, the fourth outfielder. The uh, the skills here aren't as exciting, but he does have that one carrying skill of stealing literally every base that is made available to him. Yeah, uh, I thought he was hitting the ball harder this year, and he's just not. He's uh, average exit velocity is eighty three point seven. Now the max EV, I, the way he was talked about as a prospect, um, I, I don't think anybody knew that he had 109.5 in his arsenal. So maybe at some point there's upside there. And hey, if they're playing in Vegas next year with a higher altitude, maybe he just needs to pull the ball a little bit and, and he can really play up that that exit velocity. So in your keeper leagues, you know, I, I wouldn't completely rule him out just yet. But I I have him at a five on the breakout meter. And I think that's being generous. The reason why he's so high in the ESPN player rater is because of the stolen bases. And those will always be there. But is this Adalberto Mondesi without that weird fake power? And so he's literally just going to be stolen bases in a terrible lineup. Is this, uh, I, I don't know, is this Billy Hamilton? Like, I, I don't mean to just throw out examples of guys who are just stolen base specialists. But like, there isn't a lot to get excited about in that bat. And even though the strikeout rate looks good at just 18.6, I mean, that's really good. The chase rate is bad. So the contact that he makes, it's not hard and it's often just not great contact. He's completely dependent on his BABIP. Um, and, and with stolen bases up around the league, I think players like this just aren't that valuable. So he will be a keeper for a lot of people in round based keeper leagues. Uh, Cause I do kind of expect him to finish with maybe 50 stolen bases and that's going to stick out to anybody. But just be careful of what you're you're building your team around here because he is a hundred percent just stolen bases. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think fifty stolen bases is underestimating, maybe by sure. a lot. Yeah, right. He's already twenty eight, twenty. He's at twenty seven. We are a little bit over a third of the way through the season. 
I mean, just for context, I commented a moment ago that Bobby Witt Jr. with 35 runs was on pace for 100 runs. He's got 27 stolen bases. That's not that far behind that, right? Like, yeah. he's he's on pace for like 75 to 80 steals. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get there, but like, if you look at projections, you know, if you go to go to his Fangraphs page and look at his zips or his steamer or the bat or any of those, they're projecting anywhere from 28 to 32 stolen bases the rest of the way. That gets him to 55 to 60, and that's assuming he slows down, right? That's because they're assuming he's going to he's going to run less, but also he's going to get on base less. Because one of the things that's happening right now is he is running a 268 average. Most of the projection systems think he's going to be more like 245. That's keeping him up at a 328 on base percentage. Projections range on him from like 298 to 320 for on base. Like he's going to get on base a decent amount less. So that's that's a little risky. But I think like I think if I were setting an over under for him on stolen bases by end of season, I would say it's more like 60 is the over under rather than 50. That said, I generally agree with you. I think that he just he isn't hitting the ball all that hard, all that consistently. The fact that he did tap into a 109.5 once gives us some sense of what he might be capable of developing. And that is at least interesting. I do think the comment about Las Vegas is interesting. I don't, you know, I don't have a real good sense of like, I don't think they're going to be there next year. It just seems too like Nevada hasn't even approved this yet. So like, and the owners have to vote to approve it. Like there's a, there's a whole process that has to happen here. They probably have a full lame duck season in Oakland next year. Unless God, that's just so painful to think about. Yeah. But that could be interesting. It's like, he did. I mean, in 2021, he hit 10 home runs. In 2018, he hit 12 home runs. In 2022, he hit 17, 16 home runs. It's like he's shown double digit home run power. And like that 10 home runs in 2021 was it it was at double A in 353 plate appearances. Like he's shown 15-ish home run power. The the knock on that has always been it's been in super hitter friendly scenarios. We will have to see. We don't, you know, it's, it's early to project what's going to happen in Vegas. But one thing we know about Vegas is it's going to be like high, thin desert air. <laughs> and, and it's good. The ball should travel quite well there. And based on that, like maybe there is a little bit of additional power in there. And, and beyond that, he's not giving you power right now. Right. So like if you're happy with what you're getting from him right now, you're getting okay average 268 like he's helping you in average but it's not like he's hitting 300 he is scoring about as many runs and driving in about as many runs as you could ask a guy to do on like talk about how impressive it was that wit was doing as much as he was on the royals it's even harder with oakland <laughs> but right it's it's a tough place to hit and that offense is atrocious but he's on pace for let's call it 60 to 70 runs in rbis and and he's got the 27 stolen bases. So if I look at it from that perspective, like is there any are any of those numbers numbers you don't think he can maintain? I think he could hit 260 to 270. I think he can keep putting up 60 to 70 run type seasons. Like none of that seems out of reach to me. And so I think the the bigger question to ask with Ruiz is less do you buy the breakout? It's more do you buy the rating? Do you really believe he's a top 10 overall player or do you look at this and go, 
this is just stolen bases being inflated by the player Raider. He's not as good as he seems. And I, I tend to feel like, like my rating for him on like, do I buy the breakout in terms of, do I think that we're seeing sort of who he is and what he can be going forward is closer to a seven, maybe a six, but like, I think this is all fairly legit. I It, it could fall apart because he doesn't hit the ball that hard. And there's some, there's some mile straw risk here where he just like, cannot hit the ball enough to get on base enough for the speed to matter. But I think it's, I think he can maintain what he's doing. My bigger concern is just like, I don't believe that what he's doing is actually a top 10 overall player. And so in, in keeper leagues in five by five keeper leagues, maybe it doesn't matter because he's going for like, you know, whatever he went for last year, his ADP was two fifty three. That makes him, in 15 teamers, a 14th, 12th, 13th, 14th round pick. He's worth that. He is a keeper at that price. I think without a, without a doubt for me, but I think you might be able to trade him to someone who thinks he's a second or third round value. And I don't think he's that. So he, he becomes a, a sell high to me because I think that right now people are overestimating how valuable he is. Not because I think he's outperforming what he's capable of. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely a sell high, but I think he's he's a tough player to sell because in your rotisserie leagues, especially if you've completely if you're now just dependent on him for stolen bases, like you're you're losing a huge boost in the standings by trading him away. In my you're giving him to a competitor who's now going to start climbing up that category. Um, I mean, that's the case with any player you trade away, obviously. My issue with Ruiz in your long term formats is not the keeper cost. It's just as a baseball player, I I worry, maybe not in Oakland, but like, yeah, he's a fun guy to think about when it comes to fantasy, sort of like Jorge Mateo was. But like this dude is not too far from being a a bench player or, a, a you know, a, a pinch runner, a platoon player, whatever it might be. I mean, I don't know what the platoon splits are, but it's not so much my point. I mean, the, we're talking about him as a breakout. His WRC plus is 98. Like him giving us the impression that he's breaking out is him with a 98 WRC plus. And I'm sorry, very few players can hack it when they hit the ball that soft and also only walk 3.4% of the time. And that's up from where it was last year. So just as a baseball player, I, I, I don't know him well enough. I don't know if he's some dynamite outfielder. StatCast would lead you to believe that he's really not. Um, I, I just, I, I worry well, about that long-term. And he's relatively new to the outfield, right? He was an infielder coming up for a while. He played was second, he a second base baseman. And, yeah. Yeah. And so now he's in center field. And I do think like, you know, his sprint speed is 98th percentile, which almost feels like it's selling him short. <laughs> I feel like it's probably yeah, actually 99th, <laughs> but fine. Um, his outfielder jumps, according to StatCast, are 37th percentile. So I, I do think you could look at this from, an, from a, a, a real baseball perspective and say he's getting bad jumps because he's still relatively new to the outfield. And as that improves, his speed will carry and he'll be... He'll be a gold glove caliber center fielder. And if that happens, he'll stay in the lineup. But I think, I think it is right now a fair concern that he just, he does not hit the ball very hard. He's got to maintain, you know, he's got to either become an elite defender or hit more to stay in the lineup. But for now, I think it's fine. I think in terms of being a sell high, that that is more applicable to two situations. One you're contending 
you've pulled away in stolen bases to the point that he's actually hurting you and you're not using him in your lineup anyways. And then even then you have to be a little careful about who you trade him to because you don't want to, mm-hmm. you don't want to trade him to the person who catches you. Um, the other is if you're not contending, this is like sell him now. Don't, he is not a guy that I would look at right now and be like, oh man, I'm going to hold him and he's going to be, you know, a keeper for me and a key part of my, like sell him now to a team that's in second place overall, but middle of the pack and stolen bases. <laughs> Go, yeah. go find two teams like that and get them in a bidding war over like, cause some, whoever trades for him is going to pick up like four points and stolen bases overnight. Right. I mean, it's good. Not overnight. Cause fine. It'll take him a few it, weeks, could. To catch them yeah. up, but it could, <laughs> right. They're going to catch up. They're going to get a lot of points there. Like, okay. I like, I would go get a bidding war going and, and in getting that bidding war going, I'd remind people like, Hey, his keeper value is cheap. So you're going to get him long term. So you're going to have to make this worth my while. But I would find that trade and and make it. So let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll we'll go to our first pitcher on the breakout meter. All right, welcome back. The first ever pitcher to be discussed on the Keeper Cup breakout meter is Mitch Keller, ADP of four thirteen. He is number twenty one on the ESPN Player Rater. I have. Uh, I have regrets. (laughs) I was all over Keller last year and he wasn't bad last year. Like, I think one thing we have to realize, like he, he was, you know, sub four ERA, sub four FIP, sub four X FIP. Like he was solid last year, but he didn't really break out. And so it was more like, okay, he's established himself as a good, solid, reliable major league pitcher without that much fantasy excitement. And so I was like, eh, that's not really what I want to buy at auction. I stayed away from him and yeah, I'm, I'm big sad now. (laughs) <laughs> well, so Keller's breakout has coincided with obviously this new cutter that he's throwing 24% of the time. He has a really deep arsenal. He's throwing a lot of different pitches. Um, not much has really changed for him in terms of velocity. And I brought up in one of our previous episodes that his swing strike rate is just 10%. But it is important to keep in mind, as disappointing as that is, his CSW is still 29.6. He's getting a lot of called strikes. And that 10.1% swing strike rate is still almost two full percentage points up from where it was last year. So like there is a difference, obviously. It's not just on the surface. There's a difference in Mitch Keller's approach this season. So in that way, like, yes, he is a breakout. And that's why I have him as a six on my breakout meter. So I had Ruiz at a five, which is way too high. If I could redo that, I'd have Ruiz at like a two or a one. Hey, Josh Lowe to seven. So it makes sense to me that I feel in between those two players um, when it comes to Mitch Keller. Uh, I, I don't like long term that he's a pirate. I don't like that he has this long track record of a lack of success, but it is really hard to argue with the results thus far. And, and something that really surprised me is that despite that swinging strike rate, we're talking about a strikeouts per nine of 11.14 so far this year with Mitch Keller. If I remember correctly, it's really like one or two starts where he just struck out a ton of dudes and then otherwise is pretty much what at, at least has felt like a strikeout per nine. But hey, man, the the numbers are the numbers. And in your rotisserie leagues where it's just a big picture that matters, it, it who cares? Uh, the bottom line is the strikeout rate is over 11 or the, the strikeouts per nine is over 11. So uh, I am in on Mitch Keller. I don't feel as good about him as I do about Josh Lowe. I do think going forward, he's probably a top 30 starting pitcher, but is he a top five starting pitcher? No, I don't think he's going to be even close to that. 
Yeah. I mean, his, there are a couple of, like, he had a 13 strikeout start at Baltimore on May 14th. He had a 10K start against the Dodgers of all teams uh, on April 27th. But he's been over, not over a strikeout per inning. And let's see, he's made 11 starts. He's been over a strikeout per inning in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those 11 starts. So, like, his, and his last three starts in terms of sort of where is this trending? His last three starts, including it includes that 13 strikeouts in seven innings against Baltimore. And then he's had two straight starts of eight strikeouts in six innings against Arizona and Seattle. And he's walked two hitters total over that stretch, both against Seattle in that last start. But, I mean, he's sort of doing everything you'd want him to do. Now, I do think, and I'm trying to remember... Because I've talked to Alex Fast about this. I think we even had him on the show to talk about this at one point. Called strikes are not as reliable as whiffs. And so there is there is some reason to be a little cautious that the, the solid CSW, and to be honest, like his CSW, what did you say it was? 29%? Like, yeah. 30% is sort of the target for like a good solid start, right? So he's... He isn't, it's, it's, CSW hasn't been great. It's relying on called strikes rather than swing strikes, which is less than ideal. But it's, it's, it's hard to see him going back to being a bad pitcher. And honestly, it's hard to see him going back to being sort of the solid, reliable, middle of the rotation kind of guy he was last year. Now, I, again, I, I agree with you. I don't think that I am not buying him you said, is he a top, you know, would you say top 10 starting pitcher the rest of the way? You said, no, maybe he's a top five. Like he's fifth right now on the player Raider. I don't think he's top five. I don't think he's top 10. I don't think he's top 15. I think top 30-ish, like you said, is is probably where I start to feel comfortable. And so I guess from that perspective, it's like, yeah, five or a six on the breakout meter. Like, I don't think he keeps this up. Right. So this is and it's it's a very different message than what I was giving for for Ruiz, where it's like for Ruiz, it's like, yeah, I think he can keep doing this. I just don't think this is really as valuable as it looks like it is. And I would I would sell on that. With Keller, it's it's more that like what he's doing is legitimately every bit as valuable as ESPN says it is. <laughs> like he he's been legitimately that good. I just don't think he can keep it up. As for whether or not he's a sell high. I think the answer is probably no, only because I don't think you can sell him high enough to matter. Like, I think if you tried to sell him, somebody's going to value him as a 20th to 30th best starting pitcher and try to buy him at that price. And I don't really feel like selling him at that price. There's a chance he's much better than that, as we're already seeing. His keeper value will be basically free. And I think he probably is a, 27th, 25th, something like that, best starting pitcher. If somebody out there is like, he's an ace, I'll pay for him like he's an ace. Yeah, I would sell that. But otherwise, I actually almost think that like, if he's on a team in your league that's out of contention, I'd be more intrigued to casually mention his name in trade talks to see if somebody is trying to sell high. Because I'd rather buy him from someone who doesn't believe than try to sell him right now. 
That makes sense. Uh, he's also just tough to move right now, period, because of the state of pitching. Um, it, it's been a little bit of a disaster. So you see a player like Mitch Keller who's actually consistently pitching well. I mean, it's kind of straightforward that you got to hold on to him. I think my favorite stat for Mitch Keller so far um, is one of the first stats you should look at when it comes to pitchers, and that's their their K to walk rate. And you look at the names above Mitch Keller, all of the names above Mitch Keller among pitchers who have thrown at least 40 innings this year in their K to walk rate. Spencer Strider, Kevin Gossman, Logan Gilbert, Joe Ryan, that's it. And then it's Mitch Keller. Uh, he's got right behind him Otani, Castillo, Green, Kershaw, Gallon. So when talking about like stats, like what are what stats usually show the best starting pitchers in baseball? K to walk rate is one of them. And Mitch Keller is firmly planted in between many of the best pitchers in fantasy baseball, lending me to believe or leading me to believe that this is a little bit legit. But in terms of selling him, I'm I'm, I'm with you. He's he's a tough player to move, but uh I, I, again, I, I'm in between Estiri Ruiz and Josh Lowe when it comes to how I feel about this Mitch Keller breakout. That makes sense. So let's jump to the next guy on our list. Back to the bats. This guy, his ADP was 274. That's actually, you know, pretty, pretty early ADP compared to some of the other guys we're talking about. Ruiz really the only one taken before him. But on the ESPN player Raider, he's number 22 and is the number one third baseman on the ESPN player Raider, which given all the conversation we had about third base, like you got the best one. That's a pretty good place to be. That's a Yandy Diaz. So are you buying the Yandy breakout? Um, I am. I was hoping to look out, look at what his uh, launch angle was in April versus May so far. He's missed a little bit of time. The numbers have still been there. He just hit a, hit a home run the other day. But I thought the launch angle was a little bit higher than 9.4 degrees. And I was expecting to see a an 11.6% barrel rate is incredible. I mean, that's very good. That would be the best of his career. But as we know, barrel rate uh, has a correlation with launch angle. I can't remember what it's supposed to be. It's like 16, 17, 18 degrees. And then a ball that's hit 95 or higher is considered a barrel. And so obviously, that's a place where you can look to see just how much Yandy Diaz's launch angle has improved on average this year. Uh, and I was expecting that to be a little bit higher. The exit velocity, though, is f- for him, this is significant because for a guy who's posted really high exit velocities in the past, his average exit velocity this year is 95.3. He's crushing everything he comes into contact with. The walk rate and strikeout rate are still elite. So, I mean, I guess that's my long way of saying that, like, yeah, I'm in on Yandy Diaz. I mean, I have him as an eight. He's the highest one, I think, of all of these breakouts. But if you start to see that launch angle go back down, just remember what Yandy Diaz has been for most of his career. It's not that great. He's also probably one of the oldest players on this list. I mean, this is a real late breakout. So if you do see the launch angle slipping, um, it would have to be a little bit prolonged because everything else looks really good. Then I think he becomes a sell high. But uh, I'd have a hard time selling him, especially because, again, third base is a pit. He's the number one third baseman, and he's done basically everything to keep you afloat in your in your fantasy leagues. Yeah. So I, I also ground ball rate launch angle were the things that I that I went to look at. And I pulled up rolling charts and, and a couple of things stood out to me. One is on ground ball rate, his his floor on ground ball rate this year was a rolling ground ball rate of 31.1%. Last year at one point he got down to 33.3%. In 2021, at one point he got down to 34.9%. So like it is lower. It is, it is the lowest he's been, but it is not 
orders of magnitude lower than he's been before. And his peak this year was at 63.4% for a 15-game rolling ground ball rate, which is, again, a little lower than where he peaked the past couple years, but not a huge amount. And like, if you look at his three-year ground ball rate on a 15-game rolling basis, this year doesn't look like an outlier. It just looks like another valley and then another peak for his career. If you go look at launch angle, you can see a very clear upward trend over the last few years. However, it doesn't really look like an upward trend if you go back to, I don't know, June-ish of last year. He he started off with a, a very low launch angle last year. And then by June, it started to climb up. And where he's been basically like, where he was in June of last year, mid-June of last year, his, his, his rolling 50 batted balls launch angle was... 7.6 by early July. It was up to like 13 by late July. It was back down to like, I don't know. Oh, actually it was lower than 7.6. It was in June. It was down around like three or four. It got back down around three or four by late August. He spent most of September hovering around 10, 11, 12%, which is closer to sort of league average. It actually dipped down the beginning of this year, then spiked back up. It got up as high as like 15%, but he was up that high at one point last year. And it's now back down. His his like right now rolling 50 batted balls launch angle is at five. So it is bouncing around. But like I said, it's bouncing around. It's sort of where he's been since last June-ish rather than for his career. And if I go back to, let's let's just say June 1st, just to make it easy, although I think it was probably a little later than that. But if I go back to June 1st of last year, he has, this is super convenient, he has 591 plate appearances. Basically a Perfect. full season of plate appearances. He has a 317 average, a 418 on base, a 507 slugging. He has 18 home runs. And so I think there's, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of desire to look at what he's done this year and be like, he's got what he's got 12 home runs so far this year. We're about a third of the way through the season and think that he is a, a 30 home run hitter now. And I don't think that's the case. I think he's a 20 home run guy. And I think that's what he's been for about the last year. And I think what we're seeing, what we saw in April was a hot streak Having said that, he does look like a 300 hitter who's going to hit you 20-ish home runs, a 20-home run pace, let's call it, the rest of the way. right? He'll end up with 25-ish home runs just based on what he's already put in the bank. And doing it while leading off, like 100 runs, 100 RBIs, 20-ish home runs, like I'll take that with a high average. Even, even if he only steals you four or five bases, which is optimistic he has three if you go back over that 591 plate appearances since last june but not one of those is this year he hasn't been caught stealing this year either he ain't gonna run much fine i think that this is a case where i'm not buying that he is now a 30 home run guy like if you're if you're asking me like do i buy the power breakout it's like a like a three out of ten but he's I think he is better than the nine to 12 home runs, you know, 
He hit 14 home runs in 2019. That was in only 347 plate appearances. He hit 13 home runs in 2021. He obviously only had the nine last year. Like, I do think that he's got 15 to 20 homer power. And I think that in the lineup he's in, he's going to drive in a ton of runs and he's going to score a ton of runs and he's going to do it with a, a high average. Like He has a 282 career average and he was 296 last year, 327 this year. Again, I don't think he'll maintain that 327, but 300 home runs with 20 home run power and a ton of runs in RBIs, that's really good. So I don't really buy the power breakout, but I do buy that he's legitimately a top tier first base, third baseman. So I'm going to throw it out to you then. I mean, before the season started, we had a lot of conversations about third base and there were really four third base. I mean, I guess really five third basemen. I know you weren't as big on Bobby Wood Jr., in that just like elite class, right? And that's Jose Ramirez in a class of his own. Then we had the Manny Machado, Rafael Devers kind of tier. Um, Nolan Arenado seemed to be a little bit on his own with maybe Austin Riley, I forgot about, included with Devers and Machado. So now we're up to four, right? Five. Yeah, five. Um, and then there was, you know, I, I liked Witt Jr. a little bit Bregman. more. Witt Jr. and Bregman, right? So yeah. Diaz, is it just easiest to say he's now in that tier? Or do you have him above that Bregman Witt Jr. tier? So, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question because like Bregman's been pretty bad. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. uh, but what it's, you know, what do we think I, they're going to do going I, forward? I don't, I don't think he goes into Ramirez Machado Devers territory. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think, do you have Riley with those guys? Cause I still do. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's probably fair. I think those four and you know, Machado has been now he's hurt and he's had a little bit of struggle, but like, those four, I think, I, I don't think Yandi rises to their level. But I don't know that there's any other third baseman out there that I'm like confident saying, yeah, this guy's definitely better than Yandi Diaz going forward. Um, Not Arenado? Uh, probably depends on your definition of going forward, <laughs> like how far forward we're looking. But sure. Um, I that mean, does, and that's interesting though, because that I mean that puts Diaz in a conversation that he was not in at all. So even if the no. power breakout, to your point, even if the power breakout isn't legit, he's clearly changed here, at least in in the eye of of most fantasy managers, and he's in a class yeah. that he was not even close to. I think I'd probably take I'd take Arenado over Yandi. I would too. If you if you don't get if you're not going to get that third like he hit 30 home runs last year he's on a roughly ish 30 ish home run pace this year and I don't I don't think he, right and that's yeah. what he's going to do right and and I so yeah fine um, I'll put him in that that group above Yandi but like that's about it okay so this is where the line is though because I I would still have Wit above him I know Bregman's been. Bregman's been inconsistent for a while now. Uh, so I, I, I would maybe side with Yandy there, but Yandy there. I think I would have six guys above him, and that put, makes him a top seven third baseman whose keeper value is incredible. Um, that, that's a nice player to roster, even if the power isn't legit. Yeah. So we got five more guys to get through, and we're already been going over an hour here, and so I want to try to speed us up a little. And so let's... uh. Is there any of these guys that you want to talk more about? You've got the list in front of you. Are there any of these names that you're like, let's definitely talk about this guy? Uh, so I think the one that we should, we've talked about Gorman a lot and Erod, yeah. Merrill Kelly and Jorge Soler are, I don't know how much are 
Erod maybe looks like a breakout. I don't know how much these guys are breakouts. They're just solid players who've started the year well. So here they are ranked in the top 50. The one that sticks out, I guess, is is And, and Kelly's Young. basically, Kelly's just picking up where he left off. Like, Yeah, and he's a recent. strikeouts and more walks, but like. Not much different. He's basically the guy he looked like last year and. Okay, fine. That's who he is. <laughs> He's fine. Um, right. But otherwise, in terms of top 50 names, I think it's it's Josh Young there, yeah. who has hit for a lot of power. But I, I don't know, Chad, what are you seeing under the hood? Because the StatCast page was a little bit surprising to me uh, with Josh Young. Yeah, so Young, to, to start us off here, he's got a ADP on NFPC was 220. He is the number three third baseman, number 37 overall on the player Raider. I mean, the big... The big thing, you know, the, the elephant in the room with him last year was a 38.2% strikeout rate. Wasn't even the elephant in the room because that implies people are ignoring it and not willing to talk about it. And it's <laughs> obvious to everyone anyways, but like everybody was talking about it. This year, it's it is, it's much improved. Now, there's a problem here in that 29.5% is much improved, but it's still not very good. But still, that that's huge, huge improvement from him. We're talking about the StatCast page. I mean, the, the the calling card for this guy was always supposed to be just big power. And that's not really what we've seen. His max exit velocity is sort of meh. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same as Estiori Ruiz is what it is. He basically has the same max exit. Now, that is not to imply they have the same amount of power, right? <laughs> like his his hard hit rate is 49.3%, which is very good. It's more than double what Ruiz is. His average exit velocity is 92. That's very good. Like there's a lot of really good stuff there, but he doesn't, he isn't, he hasn't to me demonstrated the level of raw power I expected, but he's getting into sort of his peak power at a really high rate. Hence, a very good barrel rate, a very good hard hit rate. He just needs to strike out less or walk more or ideally both. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what stood out. When I said stack cast, that was misleading because that implies we're talking exit velocities and stuff like that, where he's been largely fine. Um, what I'm more concerned with is I, I figured because I, I hadn't been looking I figured he had made big improvements on the strikeout rate. And I mean, to your point, right? He basically has made a 10 percentage point climb, but like 29% is still probably not going to cut it for making Josh Young some like elite fantasy talent. Um, so that that concerns me a little bit. I bring up the pitcher list page and the hard contact percentage. You know, you brought up the hard hit rate. The hard contact percentage is just 62nd percentile. So like, we need to start seeing that power play up a lot more if he's going to continue to strike out at a nearly 30% clip because he's just not going to be that useful um, if he strikes out that much. I mean, for for comparison, the guy who we could have talked about instead, Jorge Soler, right? Like Jorge Soler has shown a lot more power than Josh Young. Now, Josh Young's only 25 years old, so that's fine. Like that's not the end of the world. But Soler's a guy who's going to strike out 30% of the time. And he's not this year. He's performing a little bit better. He's like around 25%. But he's a guy who's going to strike out a lot and hit a lot of bombs. That's never been like a top tier fantasy talent, right? I mean, the one year where he had like 40 something crazy bombs, like sure, he was great. But Soler has never been treated like an elite fantasy talent. And if we want Josh Young to be that, our dynasty leagues and stuff where we've been holding on for a while, maybe we've got him. We had him for cheap in some of our new formats. We've been holding on so long that now he's like, you know, 10, 11, 12 bucks. 
well, I don't know. Like I, I'm going to need to see more the rest of the season in terms of cutting down the strikeout rate and hitting for more power before I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. And it's, it's wild to think about that. We're, we're talking about him as a top 50 player. Like the reason we're talking about him right now is because he is top 50 on ESPN's player Raider. Um, so like to his credit, he's performed very well. He was one of my preseason breakouts. The barrel rates, 13%. This is not an end of the world conversation. I was just a little surprised to see the strikeout rate is still that poor. Yeah. And, and so here, here's my thing with, with young, by the way, have you, did you give your score for him? Uh, oh yeah. Meter? Let me, let me look. What did I give you? Him you listed scoring? it as a five. Is that still where yeah. you are? Sort of. Yeah. I'd say five. Yeah. So he, here's my thing with young is I, I think. I don't entirely believe what he's done so far because that strikeout rate still isn't very good. And like, he's getting by with a 358 BAPIP. And like, I do not believe he's going to consistently be at three. Like, like we talked about Josh Lowe could carry a high BAPIP. That's not going to be young. And actually over time, you want, you want his BAPIP to go down because you want him hitting more fly balls and getting into that power more. And if he does that and the BAPIP comes down, like, if the BAPIP comes down and the power doesn't play up more than it has so far, I think it could it could get a little gallo-ish. Um, maybe not to that extreme. Because mm-hmm. I think he's he's showing improvements that Gallo really hasn't consistently put together. But that's that'd be the the concern I would have. And, and that's not something that's gonna keep him in a top 50 overall top five third baseman kind of conversation. So like Yandi, like he's not, I take Yandi over him going forward for now. But I think what differs with young and what makes him maybe, what makes me maybe a little bit more comfortable just riding with this with him right now is I think that that power will play up. And I think that if he can get into that power more then that strikeout rate will be more acceptable. And so as some of what I think is some some batted ball luck evens out, I think he'll, like, I don't think he'll consistently, I don't know. I think as the batted ball luck evens out with more power, the strikeout rate won't hurt as much and he'll be able to sort of maintain the level he's at. But I think it's with a little bit more power, a little bit lower average. Like he's hitting it for 282 average right now. And like, I, I don't, I don't buy a 282 average from him going forward. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm I guess at some level what I'm getting at is I I think I I think I'm pretty I think I'm over a five on buying the breakout only because I think that the final version of him is probably pretty close to this valuable, but in a different shape. That makes sense. I, I was a little surprised that his home run to fly ball rate is over nineteen percent. Like I was expecting that to maybe be a little bit lower. Like you look at his exit velocities and and would maybe think like you know we were just talking about how his exit velocity is not that crazy but his barrel rate is really good expecting maybe to see more home runs of the 19.3 but again what makes his case even weirder is that throughout the minor leagues he had a home run to fly ball rate that was north of 20 percent. so yeah. that is something that he can he can maintain i'm with you in terms of value like this could be his value going forward just in a different shape like you said with a little bit more home runs maybe with a lower average which i guess would make the breakout legit but I don't know. Are you are you projecting him to finish as a top fifty player on the player rater? Because I am not. Uh to finish his top fifty or to be top well, it doesn't really matter actually, because I was gonna say if he's if he's thirty eighth or thirty seventh right now, 
he basically has to stick around that top 50 to finish in the top 50. So it's sort of the same question. So no, I don't think he'll be top 50 the rest of the way. I think he's more like a top hundred kind of guy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that um, still means he's a top 100 player that was being drafted outside the top 200. So yeah, no, I was saying, I think he's still a very good keeper, but I think he is a, you know, in redraft, I think he's a sell high mm-hmm. in keeper. I think you theoretically could sell high, but I think he's a guy who I'd be happy to keep, even though I think he's sort of, I think he just, you know, I actually think like, I think what happens to him is it at some level, his like overall offensive value comes down a little bit. His power comes up a little bit, but mostly it's just that other guys pass him guys who have been like, he'll miss some time for injuries here or there. Someone else will come back and play a little more like a big part right now. We're only two months into the season. A big chunk of what keeps somebody in the top 50 in the player Raider is having played every day. Hmm. Right. Like if you haven't missed time for injury, you have a really good chance to be in the top 50 because there are only so many guys who have played every day. And if somebody missed two weeks, that's a quarter of the season right now. By the end of the season, that's two weeks. And that guy, like those guys will, he'll get passed by people who. And it's so volume driven to your point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I think quickly to talk about Solaire, I think you put a a three on the Solaire for, on Solaire for the breakout meter. I I'm higher than that on Solaire. Like I think that he's, I think he is more than capable of putting up a season that looks an awful lot like what he's done so far. His average so I, is only two fifty four. I, I I should be clear. He has seventeen home runs, and that that's like a fifty home run pace. I don't think he's gonna hit fifty home runs. I think he could hit thirty five to forty five. I th- I think he could hit fifty. It's just more like in terms of a breakout. I, I think pretty much everybody thought this was within Jorge Soler's yeah. range of outcomes. He's just performing at, you know, 99th percentile outcome right now. So, like, when I hear breakout, I think, like, this is a player doing something we weren't expecting. And I see the average is still, like, 250. He's still striking out 25% of the time. He's just hitting a lot of home runs at the moment, which he tends to do when he's healthy and playing well, which, I mean, maybe is an unfair way to look at it. I I I just, in terms of long-term value and stuff with Jorge Soler, I'm not like, wow, he's breaking out. He's a whole new player and his keeper value is crazy. I think Jorge Soler could easily hit 40 homers this year and then next year bat 217, be a part-time player and hit 12 yeah. home runs. Like that's totally within his range of outcomes. The thing, the thing that stands out in terms of a quote-unquote breakout is his career, his career fly ball rate is 40%. And he's never been above 44.3%. That was back in 2017 in a 110 game or 110 plate appearance sample. Like the only time he's played more than like a hundred games and been like his highest, his highest, let's just say it's different way. His highest fly ball rate in a season of more than a hundred games played is 42.9% in that 20 in 2021. He's at 50% of fly ball rate this year. He's doing that while maintaining exit velocity, while maintaining... And like his home run per fly ball rate is high at 23.9. It would almost be a career high. It'd be this... I should say it's the second highest highest of his career. He was at 28.1 in that crazy 48 home run season. But that 20... Like he's been at 22.9 before. He's been at 20.8 before. He's been around 20% his whole career. Like... His home run per fly ball rate isn't crazy. What's changed is he's elevating the ball a lot more. That's going to bring down the average, but that's already showing up in his 264 BAPIP. 
and the fact that he only has a 16.9% line drive rate. He is just hitting a ton of fly balls, but he's strong enough that if he keeps doing that, he'll hit a ton of home runs for you. So, and, you know, we, we think about fly balls as being bad for batting average. They're not bad for batting average if they leave the park. So <laughs> that's usually that, good. That's the, the other, the other maybe small thing, maybe a small thing to keep in mind is he has an opt out after this season. And unless things change, he would be kind of crazy not to take it. It's like he'd get, he, you know, he's on like a $12 million a year contract. So he's probably a free agent after this season. Right now, the Marlins are four and a half games behind Atlanta. They are very much in the thick of the playoff race. We'll see if they can maintain that. If they can't, he becomes a trade candidate. And if he gets out of Miami, that could be great for his power. Like, Although the last time we said that was after he had 48 home runs in Kaufman and you were like, what could he do at a real stadium? And it's like, well, okay. So maybe he just needs to be in terrible stadiums. He likes the challenge. But I think there's some chance he ends up somewhere different either later this year or at the very least next year. And if he can maintain that fly ball rate, boy, does that get interesting. Yeah, for sure. So we are nearing the hour and a half mark, which means it's about time for us to call it quits. There are a few other names on this list we didn't get to. But maybe we'll talk more about some of them next week because some of these guys, they're still interesting. Maybe a couple of them will have like a good week and we can have a new breakout meter with guys who have broken into that Perfect. top 50. Yeah, we'll to I'll, I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Regardless, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Let us know if you got questions on Twitter at Keep or Cut, and we'll be back with you next week. 